Welcome back to The Short Game. This is a show about short video games, games that respect your time. I'm Reagan Kelly, and I'm joined by my one and only bro host this week. Yes, I am here. It's me, Shane. And uh, this week we're talking, it's just the two of us. Uh, so uh, just like last week with uh, scheduling conflicts and so on, you're getting a, uh, a reduced cast on the short game this week. But we've got a game that I think is really exciting. Um, and it's one that was recommended to us by multiple listeners via Twitter. So thank you uh, to Indie Game Enthusiast and also to, to The Last Mage on Twitter. And I think also to uh, Jeremiah, a longtime friend of the show. Uh, so anyway, thank you if you recommended this game to us because it was kind of off my radar. I wasn't really aware of this game when it first came out. It hasn't been out that long, but it's uh, it's a kind of a mid-tier, like what some folks would probably call a double A game. Yeah, I'd like to I'd like to say so. What the game we're talking about this week is a Plague Tale: Innocence. And A Plague Tale Innocence is an action-adventure stealth game uh, that's come to us from Asobo Studios, which is a uh, developer out of France. And you know, it, it kind of has that the French uh, pedigree in its in its setting as well. This incredible setting of this game is a is the kind of French countryside beset by the Black Plague, and it's uh, honestly I'm really really glad we found this game because. It fits really nicely into kind of a niche that I don't think we get that much of because we're shooting for such short games on this show. We tend to get pretty solidly indie games, you know, yeah. and, and that means we get a lot of games that have like, you know, some really cute black and white 2D graphics and we get a lot of games that look like they're old 8-bit games or 16-bit games. Uh, but we don't play a lot of games that have a really high level of visual polish like this game does. And it's a game that feels like, kind of top to bottom to me, uh, a AAA title that you know might be something like an Uncharted. Uh, it, it's that first person, or sorry, third person action adventure action adventure game. Yeah, they specifically called out uh, The Last of Us and Brothers A Tale of Two Sons. Somewhere I read that they were inspired by those games. Yeah, it was that actually that made me really want to play this. I tweeted out a little bit, bit about this and some questions about it. You guys remember how much I enjoyed Brothers A Tale of Two Sons? The, it also took its, uh, its inspiration for its, I think, kind of terrible title <laughs> from Brothers A Tale of Two Sons. A Plague Tale... Innocence. Like, why did we need a subtitle, first of all? A Rat's Tale, Two Innocent Brothers. It really feels like it ought to be the other way around. I feel like A Plague Tale sounds like a subtitle to something. I would like to see them do each of the each of the biblical plagues. Like, maybe they come back with frogs and then another <laughs> one with lice. I'm just so tired of subtitles on game names. It feels like a, like a meme at this point. Like, why does every single game have to be like, a gun story? bulletsness or something like it, a gun story bulletsness sounds pretty good though I, i'd be into that yeah if i don't the guns know are good. right actually that's now i'm on board you know forget it i keep your title uh, a plague tale in a sense but i i i agree like it's it's really unusual for the show like i don't get to cover games like this very often i i love um booting up something this visually beautiful on my ps4 pro on a 4k tv with hdr yeah i think it's worth men mentioning this is out for 
PS4, PS4 Pro, uh, Xbox One, the fancy Xbox One, and for uh, Windows PC. And they're t- that because of that, they're targeting this huge swath of different kind of technical capabilities with this game. And they're doing it with a in-house engine that, you know, this is, as I researched the game, like, they built their own graphics and, and gameplay engine from scratch for this. Which is so, very, very impressive, considering they're a relatively small studio, and this is this just has such an incredible level of visual polish. Like, it's gorgeous. Yeah. They're using, um, I think they're using photogrammetry, like where you, you create, like, large high-def textures based on photographs. I think we talked about that with, like, Ethan Carter, for example. Mm-hmm. And and they're they're just putting a ton of detail into the textures. And then they also have this, we'll talk about it in more detail in a bit, but they have incredible swarming tech in this game. So a lot of this game, you're dealing with large swarms of rats and they've created a system where they can have these swarms of rats where it looks like it's flowing like liquid, but it's actually made up of these tiny rats that all of all have their own animation. They all have, you know, distinct movements. On a, on a per rat level, the rats have tails that move. The rats have different animation states. Sometimes they're on their, you know, all fours. Sometimes they're sitting up. Sinister glowing eyes. Yes. Yeah. So the, the the rat tech, the swarm tech in this is amazing. Uh, it's, it, it's immediately like, wow, how did they pull that off? I thought this game was, you know, one of the, it looks like the sort of thing where if somebody is using like um, Unreal, for example, and they're really firing on all cylinders, they can produce this like, you know, beautiful games. Um, but they're doing that with totally in-house tech, which is very impressive. And I think they must have had to, because you know, I've never seen a game pull off the swarming physics and swarm tech like this has. Yeah, and when you watch it on PC, if you see some videos, you can play this on, I was playing on a standard PS4, and it looks tremendous, it looks as good as any other game I've played on the PS4, and maybe in some cases better. But if you look at some of the examples of what it looks like on PC, uh, you're going to see just an insane level of detail where, you know, every tile on the floor has its own, um, has its own, like, set of polygons, and so it's own own object, you know, the uh, piles of leaves aren't just a texture laid on a mesh on the floor. They're like piles of leaves are actually their own object. That's like actually there in the space with its own polygons and stuff like that. So it's the, the detail is really high. Yeah. And on a PS4 pro, like I'm sure it's not quite as high end as it is on like a high end gaming PC, but it looks stunning and it's, um, it's a great use of 4k and HDR. Uh, it, we're talking a lot about the, the visuals first here. Cause I think that is that is sort of what drew me into the game initially. We'll talk more about the, the gameplay in a bit. But its visuals are stunning on a PS4 Pro, and it's one of the best showcases of HDR on the console that I've seen. There's tons going on just with light and shadow in this game. Yeah, the game is mostly at night and mostly lit by torches and things like that. And you, you just get a really, really beautiful looking game. I mean, beautiful is maybe the wrong word because the game is so full of grisly, grim death. But, you know, seeing the the seeing the French countryside in the, I think, late 1300s um, with this overlay of, I mean, it's obviously sort of like an alternate French 1300s. 
where the the countryside is overrun by a, a horrible rat plague full of these very organic looking weird rat growths and stuff. But uh, but it's just it's just incredibly cool looking. And so even if you're not the sort of person who would maybe be interested in this type of game, I, I think this is actually a pretty like mass market game. Like this is a pretty widely appealing style of game. People love uh, the Last of Us. They love Uncharted. Um, but even if that's not the kind of game that would appeal to you it might be worth it just for the graphics. I know that's kind of a weird thing to say from us, but like it is a beautiful game. Really, really good looking. I'd say it's not going to be the right game for you if you have a low tolerance for images of uh, dead people, for example. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's there's sequences in this game where you are literally walking over through a, a battlefield uh, that is an entire valley carpeted in the dead. And it's just horrifying. And I mean, also trigger warnings for harm to animals um, multiple on multiple occasions, sometimes quite ghastly, you know, other other stuff that might be like pretty distressing. So it's a it's not like a I mean, you know, I think this game earns its M rating. I believe it's M rated. I don't know. It's a really so. Let, I mean, let's get into talking about like what this game is all about a little more detail. Sure. We've just we've just been keeping absolutely. praise on it as as like a graphical so the, showpiece, but it's more than that. Absolutely. The story of this game uh, focuses on your player character Amicia Darun, who is a uh, I would I'm not sure if you'd say princess, but she's a noble um, who uh, lives with her family in rural France. Her father. Uh, you know, the game begins with her on kind of a kind of trip into the forest with her father, where they're just sort of playfully learning how to uh, press square to crouch and things like that. <laughs> As you do, you know how you do with your dad. And, you know, I mean, really, I got to say, again, the, the game blew me away right from that initial scene because the, the graphics are insane. But again, away from the graphics, this is a game that has a story and characters in it. So, <laughs> yeah, so she's. She is out there with her dad, you know, using her sling to do some hunting and, and things like that. And pretty soon the English army has invaded and uh, it's the Inquisition, which I, I was like, Inquisition English? Wasn't that a Spanish thing? But uh, anyway, the English Inquisition is here and they are looking for her little brother. So she's she's returned home and she goes into this tower where she never goes uh, where she, you know, and sees her mother, who she never sees, and meets her brother, who is cursed with some sort of horrible affliction, and uh, her mother, some kind of herbalist, has shut herself up in the tower, trying to come up with a cure for her brother. And and now that the invasion is on by the uh, Inquisition, she has to run away with her brother. Uh, her parents are sadly killed. And Amicia and her brother, what's his name? Hugo. Uh, Hugo take off uh, looking for his doctor, a doctor named Laurentius. And they run off into the night. Uh, and as they do so. As they do so, they do a lot of stealth. Yes, they do. I, I feel like the, the the actual way the game plays kind of varies a little bit. It changes up quite a bit towards the end. And I'll say at the first couple of chapters... Um, I wasn't super into the way that it played because it was very much exclusively mandatory stealth. Um, you know, mostly you are leading Hugo by the hand and trying to escape from hordes of the Inquisition soldiers. And you do that mostly through pretty rote 
stealth, you know, the same, the sort of thing that you, if you, if you were going to like write out a description of like, okay, what are the bare minimum things you need in a stealth game? Okay. I'm going to have, uh, you know, crouch, stand in high grass to avoid being seen. I'm going to have the ability to throw rocks at things, to make a noise, to distract guards, you know, just a whole lot of like ducking and weaving past vision cones, that kind of thing. Absolutely. And early on, the game really did not impress me with its gameplay because that's the kind of thing where like, you know, if I'm playing an Uncharted game, for example, or Last of Us, um, that's the stuff that I wish that you could skip to get back to the gunplay, right? Like that's the stuff that you you don't like in those games. But they build on that slowly. You are always sort of, you're, you're never like Nathan Drake powerful in this game, but it does build your tool set over time. Yeah, you absolutely start without any ability to defend yourself whatsoever. You don't have any offensive capability. You can just distract and run away. And over time, you get lots and lots of, of, of different options that you can use. And it does have some twists on that because you're always with Hugo, at least at the start of the game. You're trying to lead him around. And he's not just a burden. He's uh, able to help you solve some puzzles. So most of the time you're leading him around, but sometimes you might need to split up and have him wait somewhere while you distract a guard to, to get past something. Uh, or you might need him to crawl through a small space where you can't reach in order to let you in through a door, that sort of thing. The comparison to Brothers, A Tale of Two Sons isn't that apt because Brothers, you're controlling both of them simultaneously. This, it's more like he's a companion character that you're leading around who can occasionally do things for you if you like point your crosshairs at something and press a button. Yeah, without really spoiling any of the future developments in the story, um, he's not the only companion character that you are joined by throughout the story. And every one of those companion characters, I thought, did a really good job of, A, uh, not feeling like an escort quest. Even yeah. Hugo, who's, like, ostensibly the weakest. And, B, adding something to the gameplay, whether it's a thief-type character who can help you unlock doors, uh, a stronger character who can help you take out guards. There are... Or, or other, you know, other other characters as well. They do a really good job of both keeping those characters like relevant feeling in the scenes, um, and also keeping the scenes themselves really lively with constant ongoing dialogue and interaction. Yeah, I, I think I'm, one of the things that impressed me most about the game is like it isn't just the story of Amicia and her brother. It is the story of Amicia, her brother, and several friends that they encounter and. Uh, you know, along the way, um, and innocence, and they, they all matter. They, I think, did a, a really good job of making these, you know, side characters not just some, you know, not just mechanically useful, but like really making them part of the story in a way that I appreciated. And I actually really, I, I wasn't really bought in um, in the first few chapters. But by, say, chapter eight or nine, I was really bought into the story and the characters. And they'd added enough little wrinkles and new abilities on on top of the, the base stuff that you start with for me to really feel, like, really engaged. Like, I, 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 was, I really enjoyed it a lot, actually. Yeah, I was kind of scared off early on because I, I think, like you, when they were introducing the really simple gameplay elements like the early stuff it did kind of feel like oh is this what this game's gonna be uh like a, a a baby sneak game yeah and and there was this 
there's this moment that kind of we both really dislike oh, yeah. early on. I want to say it's in the second chapter. It's like the end of second end of chapter. I think you're right. I think it was chapter two where you're escaping from the the town. Yeah, which I got to give props to like the the town. You're mostly just running away from you know enraged townspeople um, and trying not to get insta killed. Uh, but the the town is beautifully realized, like art wise and just layout and everything. It's it's gorgeous. But I mean, you know, just understand that we probably could say that about almost any setting in this game. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna kind of wind up hitting some spoilers in this game. Yeah, I we're not gonna it, go too wanna, deep. We, it's such a linear game, and every element that they introduce is so tied to the story uh, as much as it is tied to the kind of progression that it's going to get kind of hard to talk about. Do you want us to hit a spoiler break early on, Reagan, or what, how do you want to handle that? So I don't think we should probably talk about the story details past, say, about the midpoint. Um, and I don't know if we really need to do a spoiler break since I think we're mostly going to be hitting generalities anyway. Um but let's see where we uh, where we end up. I think we can talk about the first few chapters. Well, sure. In chapter two, you are fleeing your home and you you head to this town, and this is where they really introduce the the plague itself. Like there's there's really two things going on with the plague. There's the rats themselves, which are totally op. <laughs> yeah, there's a zillion of them everywhere, and they like come up out of the ground. It's terrifying. Yeah, I have to say, like when I when I first uh, encountered them, I was like a little bit. I was a little bit confused by the way they're introducing the rats because I thought this game was going a little more realistic than it actually turns out that it was. You know, this game is set in France during a plague in the 1300s. Yeah, it's like during the Black Plague. And it's like, oh, I've learned a little bit about the Black Plague. I know how the Black Plague works. Yeah, so the the town that we see uh, here reflects kind of the more realistic side of that Black Plague. Like, there are... You know, people slamming their windows shut as you approach. Nobody wants to be out on the streets. There are people who have died. You know, there's plague carts. There's doors have been have been painted with with X's to mark the ones that have, you know, the plague inside. And so all that is relatively realistic. And that's what people are supposedly getting from being bitten by these rats um, rather than, you know, fully consumed by the rats. But yeah, like I don't know how any of these people managed to get bitten by the rats and then still get away. Because uh, every time you see the rats as a gameplay element, uh, they come up out of the ground in like a fondue fountain of, <laughs> uh, of, of, of nasty rats that explode up. And if even one of them manages to bite you, they swarm over your entire body and reduce you to a skeleton. So. <laughs> it's absurd. But it also really makes for good gameplay later. We'll talk a little bit about sure some does. of the sort of like rat puzzles i guess you could call them but a lot the rats are a huge element of the game you know you're you're constantly trying to avoid the rats but uh in a very video gamey way the rats are completely repelled by light so uh this doesn't so much play in early on the very first time that you're encountering the rats you're mostly just trying to flee from people and rats and escape the town the game really sets the tone because the first thing that happens in the game is that the rats get your dog hmm yeah, that poor dog, man. It's really rough. Like, there, this game is not kind to animals. The uh, the dog. There's that horrifying scene with the pig later on, where you poor piggy. You basically have to like feed a live pig to the rats. Very distressing. Um, 
But yeah, so Shane, you were mentioning that there's some stuff early on that like doesn't put its best foot forward. This game, I think, really, really hits its stride about halfway through. But the very first, the first section of stealth is really like like uh, stealth 101, and it also it's also insta kill, insta death stealth, which I usually yeah. hate. When you get to the town, you're still doing that though, and and it's it's still like stealth but it's stealth on the run uh in a much more interesting environment which i i think turns it around and makes it very exciting um and the antagonist of that sequence is this kind of dark gaston type guy who you know sees you and is like oh well there's a living child she must be responsible for all of our woes and decides <laughs> to chase you down and finally corners you in a churchyard very small churchyard uh at the at kind of the top of the hill on Ugh. which the town is built and there's a sequence there where you have to fight this guy by throwing rocks with your slingshot at him and and um, he's got a massive warhammer and a suit of armor yeah so so the 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 way in which you fight him so first off at that point you will have you will have upgraded your slingshot once uh the, Greg, do you want to talk about how you how, oh, about the Lord. upgrade system and how it's introduced in this? Because it's kind of hilarious. Okay, so yeah, I want to I want to preface this by saying that we're about to spend a few minutes kind of shitting on some of the early game stuff because there is some very video gamey stuff in this game that is stupid. It's just stupid, but also the game is great. So like it, it really it really reaches past this stuff and. I really ended up liking it a lot. So I, I, I want to preface this by saying I'm about to kind of shit on it a bit, but it's good stuff. So first off, as you're running through the town, you find a kindly old woman who lets you into her house to escape some guards. And there is a scene in which that old woman says, oh, I see you has a, have a sling out back. I have a workbench. You should upgrade your sling. And I was like, your sling? It's two pieces of string with, with a rock in between. Like, we're going to have a whole upgrade tree with, like, multiple possible upgrades for your sling? It was... It's stupid. It's so dumb. Um, like, why did they feel that they... I think they were just like, well, we're a game. We've got to have an upgrade system. And our, our character, she fights with this incredibly puny, you know, sling. It's the, the whole the whole point is to be disempowered, right? But we've got to have an upgrade system for the sling. It's so stupid. But anyway, once you yeah, upgrade your upgrade, sl- let, let me let me run through a couple of those things because you can upgrade the slingshot uh, by upgrading its little pouch part or its <laughs> strings. <laughs> upgrading the strings makes it faster to pull out because it, that's how those things work. Says something says it's like increases the friction, making it easier to handle or something. And then um, upgrading the, the 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 pouch, I guess, makes it more accurate or damaging or something. But the key, most important upgrade that you gotta have right on right away is you've got to up upgrade the slingshot so that you can uh, kill people with headshots. <laughs> with your rock. Yeah. So Amicia instant. This is like a huge turn in the game. Amicia goes from being a kid to being a kid who knows how to kill people with a sled with, with a rock to the face and <laughs> like instantly kill people 100% of the time, yes, which is every, like every straight time, up every silly. Headshot. But I was I, honestly, when I hit that upgrade as stupid as the, as having an upgrade system for, for a rock thrower is it was really great. Once you got that upgrade, because like, okay, this is now no longer only 
a stealth game. I now have yeah. multiple options At for least how to get to these now various scenarios. I have some way to deal with these horrible English. Yeah. So it it was a big upgrade and it it helped the game quite a bit. But almost as soon as you find you're now able to like kill people with your slingshot, and also of course the game nods very briefly to the idea that she's oh no. Maybe I don't want to kill people. And then she goes on a complete killing spree through the rest of the game, putting rocks in people's eyeballs. That's very thematic to this game. Yeah. Almost immediately, you uh, you find yourself in this churchyard with uh, with the big bad of this chapter of the game that Shane mentioned earlier. The guy with the, uh, the suit of armor and the giant warhammer who, for some reason... Uh, that's not entirely explained this has decided that you know the the children of the lord are to blame uh for the town's uh you know plague problem and so there is a fighting there is a combat scene in this game i was not expecting any combat whatsoever given the the like low power nature of the main character and the stealth uh emphasis through the whole game up to this very point and then He's coming at you with a warhammer, and you have to basically circle strafe around him using your string, your sling to knock off pieces of his armor and then headshot him. And it's the dumbest piece of combat I have ever participated in in a game. Like, it was like my jaw was on the floor, like, wait, really? We're doing this now in this game? Really? Yeah, there's like a ton of steps in order to knock his armor off, too. It's just crazy. It, yeah. I, I mean, it's it's meanwhile, half the town is like right outside the gate watching and like cheering him on. Yeah, it's, very, it's a very bad scene. But let's get past it because okay. there's a lot of really good scenes <clears throat> that come after that. Yes. So so I mentioned all that. All that part was just to say that, like, this game doesn't put its best foot forward. The first couple of chapters are like not that fun baby game stealth with instant kills if you get caught. And uh, and like the most bizarre combat I have ever done. But the game gets so much better from there. Like I was really expecting that I would get to the end of this game and start comparing it to like, oh geez, what was that? Shane, what was that game we played about the uh the like Knights Templar? We did it for the show. We really took a crap really, all over it. I actually was pretty close to comparing this to that game. That's the order A17, yes. A76 18, or 18, yeah. 1886, something like that. And yeah, that's that's a, a that game similarly was really gorgeous to look at. Um, and it was a short game, which I appreciate about it. I actually didn't hate that game. Um, I, oh, I did. want more games. I really did. <laughs> short and and, you know, visually fun like. But this is a, this is a lot closer to what I would want from that kind of game. So, yeah, like so I, good on good on these. I guys. was very close to thinking like okay, this is going to be the order two. you know, I was very close to thinking that like, this was going to be on the same level as that because those first couple of levels were pretty rough, but holy crap, it really turned itself around. Like the, um, I, I gotta say like level or chapter nine of this game, um, was maybe one of my favorite video game chapters I've played or like, you know, levels i guess that i've played this year the entire like scene where you're getting through the town trying to get to the uh to the um the university and you're sneaking yes. past rats and guards and you know using your various powers that you've gained up to that point like i don't want to get ahead of ourselves but like this game really it, it really turns that around it got really good i thought absolutely and there are a lot of um 
there are a lot of like secrets and hidden things in the game. I, I've enjoyed some finding some of that. I'm not a collectibles guy. We, I will skip them generally, but I don't mind finding them. Uh, and there are a good set of those in this. Most of the levels have a flower that you can find that Amicia will, that either Hugo will pick and tell you about as a very good boy that he is, <laughs> or if Hugo is not present, uh, Amicia will pick. And then in either case, they will put it in Amicia's hair. It's very cute. Uh, they have these little curiosity things that are like, you know, just odds and ends that have a little associated dialogue and a 3D model you can find. So typical collectible style. And there's also uh, alchemist carts that you can find. They're kind of hidden areas where you can kind of find some bonus crafting material. Yeah, let's talk about like the that. alchemy stuff, because that's where I think that the game starts giving you additional options other than just stealth and hitting things with rocks. And it's another place where I was kind of surprised at where it ended up going because um, I, I really was expecting this game to take a slightly more realistic bent than it did. Uh, you know, when they tell you, oh, you know, it's it takes place in, thir-, you know, it gives you a very specific year and it says it takes place during, um, I forget what the war is called, but very specific war. And, you know, they really seem to be setting it up for like very specific. It's the Black Plague. You know what that is from history class. And then, of course, it starts saying, OK, no, the, the Black Plague actually was boiling piles of rats that swarmed up and ate people whole in seconds. And also alchemy exists. So obviously we're looking at an alternate version of that, you know. Uh, 1300s France. But anyway, um, alchemy is real and uh, it mostly gives you things that you can throw. That's how alchemy works. So you get, uh, you start getting some upgrades to your, your ability to throw things with your sling. And they are, they look like things like uh, something you can throw that lights things on fire. Uh, Something you can throw that puts people to sleep. Uh, Something you can throw that, uh, that melts, metal, although mostly just helmets, which is useful if a dude is wearing a helmet and you can't throw a rock in his face because of it, that kind of thing. And those upgrades, um, while maybe initially a little silly on the face of it, are actually, um, they actually open up a lot of potential options uh, that add a lot to the game that you don't get from just the very basic stealth that you got at, at, you know, at the yeah, very beginning. Yeah, kind of here's the, here's the thing about the the design of the encounters in this game. This is a game that presents you with a very specific series of encounters. It's not like stealth games that I've played a lot of stealth games that fall into the kind of immersive sim category. Yeah, uh, this is where nothing like that. Y- you're going to stealth around the outside of the enemy camp and you're going to sneak in and you're going to quietly and quickly take the enemies out one by one in an order that makes sense to you. And then you're going to uh, hopefully manage to get all of them. Uh, But if some of them see you, now you're involved in a combat encounter and it changes in chaotic and different ways every time. It's very, very different from that. Gary Butterfield has a a thing that he likes to say about stealth games that I I really like and also that this game totally violates, which is that he, he says that stealth games are only good if it's fun to get caught. And I think that's that's absolutely true of like the immersive sim type of game. Um, this game doesn't let you have fun getting caught because if you get caught, you have about one second to throw a rock directly between their eyes before they immediately stab you with a sword or a, or a spear. Yeah, in in most cases, being seen uh, just means that the enemy is going to come come and stab you, so you might as well just hit restart. Uh, now, hitting restart is 
fast and, you know, gets you back to the start of this. But what you really are presented with here is a series of stealth puzzles. In general, there's one way through each encounter, uh, which, you know, may not be to your taste, but if the encounters are well designed, I don't have any problem with that in terms of game design. So the more options that you get as a player, the more options the designers have in terms of creating interesting encounters for you. So, you know, presenting you with more enemies, presenting you with enemies that are arranged in a different, you know, arranged in different ways. Uh, some of them that are wearing helmets or not, that are armed in different ways. Some of them might have a pike that they can throw, things like that. And so they're they're constantly mixing this up in an, in new ways as they're presenting it to you in these new, interesting scenes. Really, in a lot of ways, it's the scenes that are the star of the show, the scenery, introducing these. For me, the first really huge scene was this in chapter five, where they 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 introduce you to this battlefield where that was really um, cool. you know a, an enormous war has just taken place and you're literally looking at mountains of corpses and clambering over them and uh you know the the rats are are having a field day upon the corpses and there's enemies with lanterns and you can shoot the lanterns to set the rats on the enemies and things like that and you have to find your way through this kind of hellscape uh, so that interaction between like, okay, well, these enemies have lanterns, these enemies have torches. I can knock the torches out with the, or the lanterns out with a, a rock, but I can't knock the torches out. And it's stuff like that, that, that kind of creates the interplay that they, I think are really good at exploring the kind of possibility space of with each of these different encounters. It's, it's also not the kind of game where I describe these as being puzzle like, uh, it's not going to stump you with the puzzles. In fact, if you fail to solve a puzzle for a few seconds, if and you're <laughs> you're seeming like you're held up, Amicia will start to you know provide commentary on the situation, saying, "Oh, maybe if I moved that cart." And if you really seem like you're stuck, the game itself will actually highlight something or provide like. Uh, a very explicit here's your next step tooltip basically that, that'll tell you how to move ahead so yeah which i can get a little annoyed with at times but honestly like if you've got a game like this where it is you know a beat to beat you know hallway of a game um you know sometimes that's really necessary to keep the the story moving forward yeah if you don't if you don't like that disable that and in fact you can disable a lot you can disable uh you can disable all the highlighting that the game does which you know, there are elements like, you know, metal pots and pans and things like that, that you can hit with a rock to make noise and those get highlighted, stuff like that. So, uh, or uh, collectibles get highlighted. You can disable any and all of the highlighting and you mm, can didn't disable realize a lot That's of that cool. stuff as well. So it's all in the settings. Yeah. So it's a, uh, it's a pretty uh, linear game, but the, like you said, yeah, the encounters are pretty neat, um, mostly. So for some levels, I really, really enjoyed them and others, maybe the encounters weren't as interesting and I didn't like them as much. But overall, I think particularly for the back half of the game, uh, it's pretty interesting. It's got a lot of little cool moments and it, it particularly once it starts varying up like what your companion characters are able to do, uh, you know, throwing you into new situations with different companions than you had previously, then it's uh, it opens up a lot of stuff like it's uh, it's a lot of fun. And I also thought the story was pretty engaging. The story is a little silly on the face of it. You know, you're you're a couple of kids against the Inquisition, and the the Rat Plague is overrunning the entire country, and it's 
It's a little silly, but also the characters are well realized. I thought the voice acting was really good. Uh, all all of the all the French accents were at least like reasonably believable. I think they just went to Quebec and like got a bunch of uh, a bunch of voice actors, you know. But uh, it, it's I don't know. I I found myself actually caring about the characters, even though it is a bit of a silly situation that they're all in. And I don't know. I I, I thought it was uh, pretty solid. The characters in this game um, and the quality of the voice acting I thought was pretty darn high. Uh, one of the interesting things about it is that the kind of family that is built in the game, uh, that's kind of a replacement for Amicia's lost family at the start uh, of these kind of the sort of children's crusade of new outcasts that she kind of finds and pulls into her, uh, into her kind of new family is full of like, I thought really good, interesting, you know, voice acting, just well done. Nothing too showy or crazy. Like I, I wouldn't point to any of these characters and say like, Oh, well, what a standout performance, but Hugo did have, I think, a lot going on for him. Like he's a character that has a arc and, and some change over time. So you, you really see him kind of losing some of the innocence of, of youth and things like that. I did read that the child actors that provided voices for Hugo and Amicia uh, also were able to partially participate in the writing process for their characters by suggesting dialogue changes and doing alternate takes and things. So I think that's kind of cute. Uh, I thought they were pretty believable. Uh, I thought it was good that they used real kids rather than what you'll sometimes see in games for for young actors, which is like, you know, uh, a college student doing a high voice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or like a fully adult woman doing the voice of a young boy, that kind of thing. Yeah. Which, you yeah. know, sometimes can work just fine. But I mean, yeah, it's you're fine right, for Bart Simpson, but I don't think it would work for Hugo. Yeah, the the voices here are really pretty decent. I think the music was good too. They they had this like main theme that they play over and over again. I mean, it's all this nice classical music. I don't have that much to say about it in terms of like, well, gosh, it was amazing score or whatever, but it was that there are a lot of really cinematic moments in this game and like I'm I'm thinking one moment in particular that like rung for me was that they've just made their way through this uh, university and the uh, they found the book that they were looking for and they got it out before the Inquisition did. And on their way out, there's a fire that breaks out and the place is burning down. And as they're as they're leaving, like Amicia turns around and looks back at this building that is, you know, this big, beautiful university library in this classic French uh, architectural style and it's burning. And I mean, to me, it looked like the fire at the Notre Dame, you know, and it, it yeah. was, and, and they, the, the music and the incredible lighting that they have, the really good lighting technology mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, the uh, beautiful textures and design of everything in this game, like really comes together in, in some of these moments to create a very cinematic experience. And so they've achieved something really good uh, in that way. It's, it deserves all the, all the praise it's getting critically. Yeah. And the music is, you know, their, their, uh, their ominous strings section really got to work out on most yep. of the, of the sounds, but it, it does, it's very, a very film-like score that I thought at times sounded really good. Um, and you know, at other times was just sort of background noise to add tension, but mm -hmm. it was fine. Let's talk a little bit about what people can expect from this game. Yeah. So this is a game that is going to take you probably 10 hours to beat. 
Yeah. Um, and that is A, yes. Yes, thank yes. you. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. How long to beat uh dot com has main story at nine and a half hours, uh main plus extras at eleven, uh completionist at maybe fifteen. So if you were really hunting for every single playing the game through multiple times, hunting for like those flowers, for example, or something, then no, you might might squeeze more than ten hours out of it, but probably not. It's also, I think, you know, we rarely talk about like price to value, but this is a game that even at a 10 hour length to me did not feel at all mispriced at a $40 price range. So I, we, we see a lot of like 10 hour games 50, for 20 actually. bucks. I think it was 49 uh, 50 bucks. Yeah. So, ah, uh, yeah, yeah. I think that's what it was. Yeah. But it, it felt, it felt fine. For, I was happy to, I was happy to play that. I, I, you see where your money goes when you, when you boot up this game. Yeah. It really went into all of that extraordinary tech. This game looks stunning throughout. Yes. This is a, this is a great way to, spend those 10 hours. I, I had a really good time with it throughout. Honestly, I think this is going to be kind of a slow burn because I do think that for a lot of people out there in the marketplace, that is going to be a little high for a 10 hour game. Like, I don't think, I think they're hitting an audience of people that are a little more adult and have a little bit more money than time. If that yeah, makes sense. That's us. Um, and, you know, it, it's part of, partially also they're, why they're hitting some of these more adult themes with the game as well. So it, this does feel like it's targeting kind of a, a particular marketplace niche. And I really, really, really hope that there's a lot of people uh, with spending cash in that niche that want to fund more games like this. Yeah, me too. I uh, I mean, I, I, I'm really interested to see where these folks go specifically because like if they created the engine for this game, for this game, like they've got tech on their hands here that I really hope that they use for follow-ups that uh you know scratch the same itch because this was a really cool experience um i i would love if maybe when they try this again they try something other than stealth as their sort of central mechanic because i felt like that might not that's not where this game is really yeah, strongest. Give, give us some more stuff yeah, let's get uh plague tale revolution right and we'll we'll go forward a few hundred years and we'll hit like some other, you know, exciting bits of French history, and we'll take them up to 11. We'll say, instead of having the French Revolution have one guillotine, it has a billion guillotines, and they fly, <laughs> and they yeah. come up out of the ground, and <laughs> and you're going to use your flamethrower against them. I think yep. I think this this is a series that could have legs. Yeah, a million a, a million tiny legs. <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, I don't know what else you do with the swarming tech in this game, but it is really impressive. And I would love to see them do something else with that. It, it's, uh, it's a great game. I, I, I was actually not a hundred percent sure about it until I really got honestly, at least a third of the way through. Um, but I found myself really liking it a lot. So yeah, I would recommend folks give this game a chance. Even if the first couple of levels don't really grab you, um, press on a little bit because it, it gets quite interesting by the end. And I thought the characters were really good and the, the story was at least decent. So I uh, I totally recommend A Plague Tale Innocence. Um, it, I, we already mentioned it's going to take you probably about 10 hours to beat, which puts it right in the short game wheelhouse. It's uh, $49 on Steam for Windows and also on the PlayStation store and on the Xbox store. So go check it out. Uh, Shane, uh, as it's just the two of us, what's been making you happy 
this week? Well, I'll tell you what's not been making me happy. And I'm, I'm sorry to not really have a good what's making me happy this week because I've been living out my very own plague tale. Oh, um, no. I, 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 I got swarmed so by rats sick this week. I must have been bitten by one of those plague rats because um, I, this was Memorial Day weekend and I barely remember it because I've never been this sick. I, I, I got so sick. Uh, that at one point, all I could do was drink water for two days. At one point, I dragged myself to the pantry thinking, I must eat something. And I found a can of soup. And just looking at a closed can of soup was enough to make me sick and wretch just looking at the soup can. So oh, I'm very, very, very ill. Um, thank goodness I was alone uh, because I didn't want to get my wife and child sick. They were up with family in Nacogdoches. Um, and so I guess what's making me happy is that I didn't get everybody else this sick. I did finally get to the doctor and they told me that I tested positive for both strep throat and the flu at once. I didn't know that could happen. So that is what is not allowing me to do anything but play this game this week. Shane, I'm glad you're feeling better. I'm sorry to have, uh, asked you to record while still recovering from such a, I tell you what is making me happy is that tomorrow uh, I am going to get on an airplane and fly to Bulgaria. Uh, I've been to Bulgaria for work before. I had a nice time. I hope to uh, enjoy the uh, sights and sounds and uh, delicious flavors of Sofia, Bulgaria, uh, starting on uh, Monday of next week. I'm excited for you. Bulgaria seems like an odd place to travel to, but I, you know, wherever your business takes you. And I hope you have a great time uh, It's the smallest European capital, Reagan. It's the uh, European capital with the uh, least expensive uh, place to set up a corporate office. So if you're looking Uh to set up a corporate office in uh, beautiful Europe uh, and you want to do it on the cheap, (laughs) Sofia, Bulgaria is the place to be. Good to know. Good to know. Um, my my, what's making me happy this week is a few things collectively, but I'll just say the Sega Dreamcast. So I've mentioned on the show before that I'm kind of a retro game enthusiast and I have a bunch of uh, retro game tech and I get kind of into tweaking my setup and uh, doing things like RGB modding consoles and doing other sorts of things to kind of get the very best experience, things like getting uh flash carts and things like that for these older systems and getting a really, really excellent retro game experience. And uh, lately for me, that has been me tweaking the Sega Dreamcast because there's a lot of really great games on the Dreamcast, especially if you like 2D fighting games. I mentioned a while back that I had recently decided to start trying to figure out how to get better at fighting games. So I've been putting a lot of time into some of the older Street Fighter games recently, and the Dreamcast is a great place for those. Uh, every Street Fighter game, basically up to um, up to Third Strike, uh, it, Street Fighter Three Third Strike is on the Dreamcast, and so the Dreamcast is a really neat system with some odd quirks. And so I've gotten a few kind of extras for it recently that I'm pretty excited about. And I wanted to mention them in case any of you guys are Dreamcast enthusiasts. I got a GD. EMU or GDMU, which is a optical drive replacement, an optical drive emulator. Basically, you take the entire uh, 
you know, CD or uh, GD-ROM drive out of your Dreamcast and you replace it with this simple card that has an SD card slot on it. And then you can load your games onto that SD card and run them from there, which means that it is quieter, it is lower power, and it loads things faster and it gives you a really nice, easy menu interface for grabbing games, which is super nice. So I was able to load up every Street Fighter game onto one SD card, pop that into the Dreamcast, and I can easily switch between them. And, and it's really, really nice. Uh, I've also got an, a new cable for the Dreamcast. This might sound sort of unglamorous, but the Dreamcast has the Dreamcast was in an odd place in the evolution of video game hardware video outputs. So the Dreamcast can do everything from composite up to 480p VGA output. And uh, Retro Access, which is a really nice uh, uh, company that makes custom video game cables, builds a custom Dreamcast cable that can switch between either uh, RGB 480i or RGB 480p. Basically, it can switch between the standard for a uh, standard CRT or for, for a VGA monitor with a single cable. So that covers the entire gamut and lets me do things like plug into my OSSC and get super nice high quality video out of the thing. And I got a adapter for the controller. Uh, a company named Brook makes a controller adapter for the Dreamcast that lets you use modern controllers on it, including things like, well, basically it, it lets you use the DualShock 4 uh, or Xbox or Xbox or Xbox 360 or Xbox One controllers. And it also lets you use fight sticks from those systems. So all of that together means that now I've got a really nice setup for Dreamcast. So I'm having a lot of fun going back to all of the old fighting games on the Dreamcast and a few of the other games that I you know, remember fondly from that system with more modern, uh, less creaky feeling controllers and with super high quality video output and with super fast loading from of games from an SD card. And it's been a really, really neat experience. And altogether, it wasn't even all that expensive. The GDMU is, uh, is has recently been cloned. So you can get a uh, like a clone of it on eBay for like 60 bucks and it's easy to install. The cable I bought was, I think, 30 bucks, and the uh, the adapter, I think, was 40. Um, so, you know, you don't need to do all of those things, but altogether, that's been great. I've had a really nice time playing the Dreamcast lately. Just wanted to mention it. Um, so, listeners, if you have recommendations for us about short games that you think we should cover. Um, do what our listeners did and recommend us a game like A Plague Tale Innocence. You can reach us on Twitter at underscore short game or on the web at www.theshortgame.net. We have a contact form there, which is a great way to send us longer messages. Uh, or you can email us at info at theshortgame.net. You can find me on Twitter at Reagan K. That's R-A-Y-G-A-N-K. And Shane, where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at 8BitShane. And you can support the show by leaving us a review or rating on your podcast platform of choice, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Please remember to do that if you can. And thank you so much for joining us on this episode of The Short Game.